0: Mark 11, 1-10 Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Belfage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of His disciples and He said to them, Go into the village opposite you and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, what are you do- Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately, He will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it. And Jesus sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It was not long after that moment in time, some 2,000 years ago, which we... Uh, called today Palm Sunday, uh, that Jesus would later partake of the Passover meal with His disciples for the last time. Uh, This was the last week of Jesus' life, and He would partake just one more Passover meal with them. Only this time, He would give it a, a new twist. He would begin to speak about the bread as it is symbolized with His body. And the cup as it was symbolized by His blood. And so He brought new meaning to a very old ceremony. New meaning to a very old Jewish ritual. Here today, we are going to be bringing new meaning to an old Jewish ceremony. Uh, What we have here today is a very special presentation and we've invited some folks from the community, and so if you're new here today, we're very glad to have you. Uh, My name is uh, Neil Anderson, by the way. I'm the pastor here at Coast. But we brought in a special guest today to bring new meaning to the Jewish Passover. Uh, His name is Cyril Gordon. He is with Jews for Jesus, and they are a fantastic organization dedicated. uh, they They are a Jewish organization dedicated to spreading the truth that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Messiah. And so uh, Cyril would be uh, most appropriately uh, called a Messianic Jew. Uh, He would be a Jewish person who believes that Christ is Messiah. And he has come today, and I know he's brought materials with him in the back, which I'm going to encourage you to, to visit afterwards, to share with us the beauty of the Passover meal and how we see Christ in it. We've also invited the kids to stick around because, kids, at, at, in, a, in a short moment of time, uh, you're going to be asked to participate in this uh, presentation. So get ready, kids. But at this time, would you give a warm welcome to Mr. Cyril Gordon?
1: Oh, shalom. shalom. Good morning. Pleasure to be here with you tonight. I mean, this morning. uh, This is some place I never thought I would be, is speaking in churches all over America. Uh, I grew up in San Francisco in a Jewish family, and as Jews, we're taught that you just don't believe in Jesus, period. And uh, went off to school at UC Santa Barbara, where I studied art, and it was there that I started searching. I was into the whole party lifestyle. And... uh, Was not satisfied with that. Uh, So I searched in everything except Christianity. I went into Buddhism, Taoism, existentialism. Um, uh, I dabbled in uh, uh, the whole Timothy Leary thing of taking drugs to find God. That didn't work. Um, Even took peyote with the Navajo Indians in uh, Arizona. Never again. (laughs) <laughs> but I was searching and uh, after dabbling with all that, I decided it was uh, time to go back to my Jewish roots and uh, was accepted on a prestigious art uh, program in Israel to study with Israeli artists for several months. And so while I was there, I, I hooked up with the rabbis in Jerusalem and there uh, took some courses with them And through those courses, discovered that without a doubt, this book is of God. And uh, that was news for me. Uh, They didn't teach me that in Hebrew school in San Francisco. Even though I had my bar mitzvah and read out of the scriptures in Hebrew, uh, they didn't really teach me about the Word of God. They basically gave me a cassette tape that I had to memorize. In Hebrew, that was my bar mitzvah. Uh, <clears throat> so, with that revelation, I tried, I wanted to do what this book said. And uh, as the Word of God says, uh, the, my people, the Jewish people, made a covenant with God. Uh, we're a covenant people. In Mount Sinai, uh, uh, God gave the Mosaic Law to our people, and we accepted it. And not only did we accept it, we said we will accept it and our children's children. And uh, so I said, wow, all I have to do is follow this law and my life will come together. Uh, so this law involves eating kosher, not working on Saturdays, wearing tassels, uh, staying away from Gentiles. That's one of the laws. God's told us to be holy. Kadosh in Hebrew means separate. He separated us for his purpose. It wasn't our idea, folks. (laughs) Um, And so I sincerely tried my best to follow the law and failed. I was not living a righteous life as much as I tried. Uh, And I knew something was missing in my life. Uh, The irony is, as I tried to live a righteous life, I got even, I realized how unrighteous I was. Um, and uh, God in his mercy uh, got me looking into Jesus after a vision I had in 1989 out in the desert in Joshua Tree I used to go to the desert a lot and in one of my experiences I had a vision of Jesus which shocked me as a Jew as I wasn't calling on Jesus I was calling on the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and I see a man with a beard and a crown of thorns. Now, I was excited that God was answering my cry, but, you know, who is that? can't be Jesus. Uh, but it did get me start looking into Jesus. And uh, so I got my hands on anything I could, uh, and, but I kept getting the wrong Jesus after that. For four years, I got the wrong Jesus. Um, I even tried to go to psychics to find out what this dream meant, this vision that I had meant, because I saw a vision of Jesus and a vision of a roadway to heaven. And uh, I didn't understand it. And I knew it was forbidden to see psychics, but I still went anyways. I went to the kind where their voices change. They're called channelers, and uh, they go into a trance. And uh, they gave me the wrong Jesus, too. It wasn't until I met a true Christian and saw the genuine faith they had in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that I was—I would say I was envious. This person was not Jewish. And they had the whole Bible, the Old and the New Testament. We Jews, we think that the Gentiles have the New Testament and the Jews have the Old Testament. Well, she had both. And that intrigued me. Uh, and she shared the gospel with me. And two weeks later, sent me a whole bunch of books about Jesus, the true Jesus. And one day I get a, visit, a visitation in my dream and, uh, that I never forgot. You know, you have dreams, and I some of you might have had this, but you also, when you have a visitation from God, you know it's a visitation from God. It's not just a dream where a being appeared in glory, and I thought I was going to die. And he holds out this paper in his right hand, and on this paper, it says, in, it has my whole life story in small letters. I couldn't read it, but I just knew it was my whole life story up to that point. And then in big, bold letters on the bottom, it says, it's time to come home. And I woke up, thank God, because I thought I was going to die in the presence of this being And I woke up all excited. I knew something was going to happen to me. I didn't know what. Sure enough, the next day, I started going through some of the books that this Christian sent me, uh, Evidence that Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell and and stuff like that. And I'm exposed to the prophecies from the the Bible, the Old Testament, about the Messiah, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, Zechariah 9, etc., etc., uh, and i am it's like, why didn't I see this before? I used to read the Bible, and yet I was totally blinded to all this. And all of a sudden, it's all making sense. And uh, that day, I saw my need for Jesus and who he really is. And I accepted him that day by myself uh, in my grandma's kitchen in San Francisco. the The moment I accepted him and called on his name, was the best day of my life. I knew that I was right with God for the first time in my life. The guilt I had for all my sins lifted. I was clean, I was, I was whole, I was reconciled to God. And uh, uh, I'm thankful for that because I was spiraling deeper and deeper into bondage and God pulled me out. I'd probably be dead or in jail if it wasn't for that. Uh, Since that day, I've devoted my life to sharing about Jesus uh, since 1993, and uh, it's been quite an adventure, I'll tell you. Uh, I'm married now uh, since 10 years. We have been married 10 years to my wife, Rhonda. She couldn't be here this morning, unfortunately. Uh, We have two children, a three-year-old boy and a six-year-old girl. And uh, we're hoping for another, so pray for us. They're so cute. And you know, something funny happens. When you, get, you get two Jews who know Jesus, and I don't know what the deal is, but... <laughs> That's our first, Gabriella. But um, uh, she's also a, a minister, and, and ministers to Jewish women uh, in San Francisco, I mean in L.A., my wife. So anyways... Uh, I'm thankful to God that through the New Covenant, the wall between Jews and Gentiles is taken down. We're no longer separate. Uh, We're one people. And that's exciting. But I'll tell you, ever since I've been eating with you Gentiles, I've put on 30 pounds. (laughs) And uh, by the way, anyone know what's what's the definition of, of someone who's Jewish? Anyone know here? What makes someone a Jew? Uh, he's going to answer okay what, what do you say, my man um, that that they don't okay, so a Jew is someone who doesn't believe in Jesus <laughs> 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 Come on folks, it's, uh, hey, the whole Bible's about us. Come on, somebody's got to know here. Mother's Jewish, but what made the mother Jewish? Then it's from Abraham. Uh, uh, come on, you're almost there. No. No. Where did the twelve tribes come from? There you go. Jacob. You know, Abraham had other, other children and that were not from the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The Jews are from Jacob, the 12 tribes from Jacob. That's what makes someone a Hebrew, an Israelite, a Jew, whatever you want to call it. It's an ethnicity. That's all it is. Now, the rabbis would tell you otherwise that, no, you, if you're a Jew, you have to be following Judaism. And that's not true. Okay? Especially the Judaism that exists now has been changed because of the destruction of the Second Temple. And we're going to talk about that. Um, you know, there's Jews out there that are atheists. I was an atheist at one time. I was a Buddhist. I was this, I was that, but I was still a Jew, okay? And I, I bring that up because as a Jew who, whose faith is a Christ, is Christianity, I'm often taught by my people, you're no longer Jew. So a lot of what we do in Jews for Jesus is we have to educate our people. What is a Jew? Because I'll ask Jews what a Jew is and I'll get answers like this young man just gave me. They will say a Jew is someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. So you're right on there, (laughs) boy. Okay. And uh, this morning, I do have the pleasure of sharing with you about the Passover. As most of you know, the Passover, uh, the the Last Supper was a Passover. And Jesus used the biblical holidays to reveal who he is. And Passover is no different. In fact, uh, Passover is where he ushered in the New Covenant. And uh, this is where we get our whole communion service. Um, You know, as you know, Jesus' lineage is in the Bible, in Luke and Matthew, and you can see it goes all the way back to David. And um, uh, that was one of the requirements of the Messiah. So... This is actually a timely presentation. Passover starts, I think, on Thursday. And uh, it talks about Passover in Exodus chapter 12. Now, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to talk out of that chapter to this morning, okay? Uh, in that chapter, it talks about when to observe Passover. And it is this time of year. This is actually the beginning of the year in the Hebrew calendar. Uh, It's supposed to be a day, seven days are supposed to be set aside where we don't eat any leaven. Okay, leaven in the Bible is often symbolic of sin. Just as it's used to puff up cakes, cookies, and bread, Uh, sin puffs us up with pride. Uh, So for a whole week, this is the only kind of bread we're allowed to eat, matzah, unleavened bread. No cakes, cookies, buns, none of that stuff. This is also called the bread of haste because uh, when my people were slaves in Egypt and finally the Pharaoh said, you know, go, he let us go, we left quickly and didn't have time for the bread that we have to to rise. And that's a reminder that we left uh, Egypt quickly. That's why it's called bread of haste. But before we can have a Passover Seder, which is the first night of Passover, you have to have a major house cleaning. Not one breadcrumb can be left in your house. This is a time of year where you check under the fridge, you wipe the cupboards, you vacuum the rug five times. I mean, not one crumb can be found or you can't have the Passover. And this is supposed to be the duty of the man. And Jesus knew this. In Luke 22, um, uh, I think it's, actually it's in John, where Jesus sends two men to go prepare the Passover. But somewhere between then and now, that job got switched to the women. And no one knows how. (laughs) But the women have a chance to get back at the men with a European tradition called the Bedikat Chomets, where, uh, after the woman has worked diligently all week to rid the house of leaven, she will hide a pile of breadcrumbs somewhere in the house. And the night before Passover, the man of the house has to come and find these crumbs or no Passover that year. So, he gets home and he gets his trusty wooden spoon and uh, feather and napkin. And he goes on the search for the leaven. It could be anywhere. He could be there all night looking for this pile of breadcrumbs. But thankfully, his wife's been nice enough to hide them exactly where she hid them the year before. (laughs) And the year before that, and the year before that. So he finds the breadcrumbs and makes a big deal about it and places this wooden spoon underneath and sweeps the crumbs in gently, not to drop any, and wraps it up. And he would march down to the local synagogue where all the other men are there with their leaven and will toss it into a big bonfire. And then they can go home and declare, my house is now ready for the Passover. Now, here in America, you're not going to see any bonfires at synagogues on the eve of Passover. <laughs> but... Uh, Usually what will happen is Jewish families will bag up all their cakes and cookies and they'll give them to their Gentile neighbors to hold to after the Passover. <laughs> My grandma, she just stuck everything in the freezer downstairs. But we're supposed to get rid of it. You've got to burn it, you've got to get rid of it. In fact, I was talking to my wife and I think we've not, we don't actually do that. We 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 know, we're not so strict with the Passover and we're thinking, wow, maybe this year we should do that just for fun, you know, just to see what it'd be like. Um, uh, in fact, if you go to Jerusalem this time of year, you can often smell burnt toast in the air cuz people are literally going to the park and burning their bread in a you know, a fire. So the house is now ready and the uh the evening will start with the lighting of the candles. Now all the families there, whether you like it or not, in their finest attire, everyone's relaxed and settling in for the, the long haul. Okay, Usually uh, Passover could go up to six hours. Now, anyone else here from a Jewish background? besides? Okay, hey, did you guys do Passover? How, how long did it last? Four, mm-hmm. hours. Yeah, four hours. Of, uh, oh, wow. You guys must have been pretty orthodox. No? no? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Anyone else? Okay, well, usually it will go up to about six hours. My family's was about 35 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> But people are settling down for the long haul. It's supposed to be a long evening. And it begins with the lighting of candles, which is the duty and honor of the woman of the house. Because in Genesis, it's very clear that the Messiah would come from a woman. And who is a Messiah but the light of the world? And if you notice, the matriarchs of the Jewish people oftentimes were barren. We, they could not have children. Sarah, Rachel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the devil said, Ha-ha! There will be no Messiah. I've got you now. And boom, the last minute, God opens the womb, and they have... The, the line goes on. And uh, that's the way God works often. He's the last minute, you know. He's dramatic. When all seems lost... Boom, he comes riding in to save the day. And that's what the whole history is with the Jewish people. Uh, so the candles are lit, and the woman will say a prayer to uh, welcome the Passover. And then the man of the house will put on a special garment called a kittle. He only wears this uh, for the high holidays. It goes on like this this, and (laughs) you won't have trouble with that, (laughs) like this, and uh, yeah, now you know why there's so many Jewish doctors. And he'll put on his prayer shawl. Uh, Jewish men will get this on their bar mitzvah at the age of 13. And it has tassels on the corners, a commandment to the Israelites to remind them about the covenant they made with God. And it goes over the shoulder like this. But instead of wearing the usual yarmulke or skull cap as a sign of respect to God, the man of the house will wear something a little more elaborate, symbolic of a crown, because the night of Passover, the man of the house is the king of the house. And in a Jewish family, it's the only night of the year that he's king of the house. (laughs) And as the king of the house, he's going to guide his family through the traditional Passover Seder. Seder is a Hebrew word for order, because there's an order follow using this book called the Haggadah which means the telling because he's going to tell a story like all the biblical holidays it's all about telling a story and the children are very involved in this okay they're they're running around they're asking questions they're tasting things God cares about our children he, he wants to, through the biblical holidays to teach them who he is and what he did because Let's face it, folks, I wasn't there when the Red Sea was split, okay? And neither were my children, but we tell the story. And uh, so the head of the house is going to use four cups of wine and a Seder plate to help tell the story of Passover. And here there are six different food items that are going to help us do that, and none of those are deviled eggs, But if you should have gotten one of these Passover uh, pamphlets, want to pull that out. I want to just show how are the children involved in the Passover. There's a section called the four questions in the second page. And the children will come up and they'll ask the four questions. Why is this night different from all the other nights? And the head of the house will answer, because uh, uh, all the other nights we eat leavened bread, but tonight we, leave, we eat unleavened bread. And he'll answer that question. And uh, the second question, on all other nights we eat vegetables and herbs of all kinds. Why on this night do we only eat bitter herbs? And he'll answer that question. The third one, on all other nights we are not required to dip the herbs uh, uh, once, but why on this night do we dip twice? And he'll answer that question. And he'll answer the fourth one. On, on all other nights we eat sitting upright or reclining. Why on this night do we recline? And before each question he'll say a Hebrew uh, prayer that goes like this. And Then he'll answer the question. And all this comes out to help us tell the story of Passover. Like uh, the answer to number four, uh, why on this night do we recline? Well, because Passover is all about being set free from slavery. And the slaves never recline to eat. They're always standing up, serving people. But when you're free, you can be the one that reclines. And Passover is about being set free from slavery.
0: The dipping of the herbs
1: twice is because it reminds us of the bitterness of life as a slave, as we're going to dip in the salt water. And uh, so that's one of the ways that children are very involved in the Passover. So the man at the house is going to move over to the first cup of wine and begin the Passover with the lifting of the first cup, the cup of sanctification. And he'll say a Hebrew prayer that goes like this. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu Amen. Which translates into, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, Creator of the fruit of the vine, and everyone will partake. That's the cup of sanctification. It sets this night apart from all the other nights. Then he's going to go into the story of Passover uh, out of Exodus chapter, uh, chapter, uh, I think, 1 through 12, and talk about how uh, Jacob was living in the land of Canaan he had 12 sons the favorite son was Joseph and the other jeal- uh, brothers were jealous and they betrayed him and sold him to be a slave to Egyptians to the Egyptians and there in Egypt Joseph was betrayed he was uh, uh, falsely accused and thrown into prison to rot but God had favor on Joseph and gave him the gift of interpreting dreams And with that gift, he was able to interpret a dream the Pharaoh had that nobody else could interpret. And Pharaoh made him the right-hand man of Egypt for interpreting this dream, a dream that foretold of a coming famine in the land. And Moses became a counselor for the Pharaoh and counseled him to, to store grain during a time of plenty. And they did just that for seven years Sure enough, the plague hit seven years later. So bad was this plague and famine that all the peoples around Egypt ended up coming to Egypt to buy grain because they didn't have any. And who shows up? The brothers of Joseph. Jacob sent them to to Egypt to go buy grain during this famine. And there we have a picture of Joseph in front of his brothers, and they don't recognize him. And I always wondered about that. I mean, come on, okay, it was several years after, but hey, they're flesh and blood. They should recognize him. He knew who they were, but they didn't recognize him. Okay, so he was dressed like a Gentile, he talked like a Gentile, was married to a Gentile. But still, they should be able to recognize him. And I, I think about that and I say, you know what? That's the situation. It's the same situation with my Jewish people now when it comes to Jesus. You know, I remember growing up, uh, I got this children's Bible as a child, and I really have no idea where it came from. But I had it. And they had lots of pictures, and I'd flip through it. I loved, you know, looking at the pictures and reading. And, uh, all the pictures in the old testament i could relate to there's moses and king david and and joshua and and um and they all look jewish then you get to the new the new testament and you got this 7 foot tall blonde hair blue-eyed norwegian jesus and i'm like who is that there's a disconnect you know and, and that's how jews see jesus these days he's, he's not One of us. He's okay for them, but not for us. And uh, there's a wonderful reconciliation with Joseph and his brothers as he reveals himself. And what's the first reaction? They're horrified. This is the guy they sold to be a slave and tried to kill. But that's quickly replaced by a great joy. And that's the same thing with, with us as Jews when we come to faith. When I realized who Jesus was I was at first I was, I was shocked. This, I used to use his name as a swear word. I used to mock him. And he's the Lord? I was a, a little afraid but that's quickly replaced by the great joy that comes from the reconciliation. There's a lot of parallels between the story of Joseph and Jesus. So they're reconciled the Hebrew people had favor with the Pharaoh because of Joseph and he invited them to come and dwell in the best land of Egypt in Goshen. And there Jacob and his whole family were allowed to come and dwell there. And for many years they prospered and multiplied so much so that over time when the new Pharaoh took over who did not have favor on the Hebrew people but was, became threatened by them because of how much they grew He thought they were going to ally with the enemies. He decided to make us slaves. So for many, many years, we were slaves in Egypt. We're not talking 10 or 20, folks. We're talking several hundred years of heavy bondage. And we remember that as we lift up the parsley, symbolic of life, and dip it in salt water, symbolic of tears. And we make tears to remind us that a life of slavery is a life filled with tears. Then we move over to the second item, a horseradish root, a very bitter root. And this is a visual reminder of the bitterness of life as a slave. The third item, my favorite, fresh ground horseradish. Now, we're supposed to eat a whole teaspoon of this stuff. You know what happens when you do that? You cry whether you like it or not. In fact, we need someone to come and try the horseradish before we can continue. Do we have a brave soul here who would like to try the horseradish? Come on. Who's the brave soul in here that can, that can hack the horseradish? Okay, come on up, my friend. Let's give him a hand. Come on up. <laughs> What's your name? Dustin. Dustin. You guys need to thank Dustin, because I was going to stand here all morning until we had a volunteer. Now, just as our Lord is gracious, I'm going to be gracious. And I'm going to give it to him with some matzah. How's that? So, we are going to set you up here. There you go. A nice swad. Now, here's the trick. You have to face everyone the whole time. Don't look at me. (laughs) And it's down the hatch right away.
0: All right.
1: And uh, does anyone here know that's right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you ready, bud? Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, hold that. Now... Everyone count to three. On three, down the hatch. Ready? One, two, three. (laughs) Hey, way to go, brother. Thanks. Do we got any tears? Uh, Maybe a little. Good. You're supposed to to cry. That's what (laughs) praise God now we can continue with the Passover thanks to uh, Dustin thank you brother so everyone gets a teaspoon of horseradish then we move over to the oh that's to taste of the bitterness of life as a slave now the fourth item is a sweet mixture of apple cinnamon, honey and it's supposed to remind us of the mortar that we were forced to make as slaves for many years. But why use a sweet mixture for that? Because we had the promise of God that one day we would be set free. And that's one of the qualities of God. He keeps his promises. And that kept us going. The fifth item obviously came after uh, the time of Jesus because it reminds us of the destruction of the Second Temple in 70 A.D. by the Romans. It's a symbol of mourning. It's brown to remind us of the brown stones. It's placed over fire to remind us that it was burned. And uh, for Jews like myself, though, it's not a symbol of mourning. It's a symbol of joy that we don't need the temple anymore. Thanks to the, the Messiah who gave his life for us, We don't have to keep offering sacrifice for our sins. So this is, for most Jews, unfortunately, this is a symbol of mourning uh, because they still think they need a temple for reconciliation with God and to offer sacrifice. Now, one thing interesting is that uh, the Jewish people kept strict genealogical records of everybody because of the prophecy in the Bible that the Messiah would have to come from King David. So you had to have proof of your lineage if you were going to say you're the Messiah. Well, all those records were burned in 70 A.D. So after that, no Jew can come and say, hey folks, I'm the Messiah, because there's no physical proof of his, his lineage. It's all word of mouth now. I mean, my grandma says I come from the Levites, but I can't prove it. It's just word of mouth. You have, I know other Jews who say they come from the Kohanim, the priests, but they really can't prove it. Jesus could prove it. He lived before 70 AD. And you have his lineage in in, uh, Matthew and Luke, right there. Where do you think they got that from? They got that from the temple. After the fifth item of the Seder plate, uh, the head of the house will talk about how God chose Moses to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He said, No, I refuse. And so God had to pour out plagues on Egypt with every time the Pharaoh refused. We remember that as we lift up the second cup, the cup of plagues. And here, the head of the house would dip his finger in the wine and let ten drops fall onto his plate as the ten plagues are recited. You know, the, the sun was blotted out, the, the animals died, death of the firstborn, the, the Nile River turned to blood. What's interesting about these plagues in Exodus chapter 12 is that God was judging the false gods of Egypt. You see, they used to worship the sun. And God turned it off for three days. They worshiped the animals. They died except for the ones in Goshen. They worshiped the Nile River. God made it useless. Did you know that every firstborn was consecrated in Egypt to worship the Pharaoh as God? And with death of the firstborn, God did away with Pharaoh worship in one day. So we remember all that as we partake of the second cup, the cup of plague. After that, the head of the house will move over to the last item of the Seder plate, the Zoroah. This is a lamb bone, to remind us of God's provision to spare his people. He commanded them to take a perfect lamb, and you had to live with it, a one-year-old lamb, and live with it for four days and get to know it. And after that, that innocent animal had to be sacrificed, and that innocent blood placed on the doorpost of each house. So when the angel of death would visit Egypt and see the innocent blood on the doorpost, it would pass over that house and everyone in that house was spared, the the wrath of the 10th plague. And this reminds us of the necessity for a sacrifice for forgiveness of sin in Leviticus 17.11. The life of a creature is in the blood. God says, I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your soul. It's the blood that makes atonement for your soul. I was never taught that growing up. My people have replaced the necessity for sacrifice with prayer. I tried that for 20 years. It didn't work. I, we, you must... The wages of sin is death. and Without a sacrifice for your sins on God's altar, there is no forgiveness. With this, we're also reminded... Uh, that the three food items that we're commanded to eat on Passover are lamb, bitter herbs, and matzah. And the the Zroa reminds us of that. And you also need to remember that by the time you got to the 10th plague in Egypt, a lot of Egyptians were starting to hang out with the Jews. And if they were in a house under the blood, they were protected too. So that's the six items of the Seder plate. After that, the head of the house will move over to this pouch right here, where there's three pieces of matzah. It's called a matzatash. Why three? Nobody knows. But some rabbis think it's symbolic of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of the Jewish people. But I believe that it's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Because the middle matzah is pulled out, the Son, it's broken in two. Half of it is placed in a pouch and hidden away because later on all the children are set loose to find it. They tear the house apart because they know the one that finds it gets a big prize. And once they find it, it's brought back to the head of the house, pulled out of the pouch for everyone to see, and shared with everybody. And it just so happens that I've hidden. One of these somewhere in this church, and the children are going to have a chance now to go find it, and the one that finds it gets a big prize. So, all the children who want to come find the the uh, matzah, come stand up right over here, real quick, right here. All right, good, good, good. Here's what we're looking for, kiddos. We're looking for a piece of matzah that's hidden in a white cloth or napkin, okay? And here's the rules. It's nowhere up here, and it's not anywhere anyone's sitting, okay? Oh, we have a winner! Come on up, come on up. You saved the day. Come here,
0: Mike.
1: Now, what's your name? Kayliana. Kayliana? Come on, let's give her a great hand. Alright. Saved the day. You found the hidden matzah. And we have a gift for you. There you go. Alright, God bless. You see there's lots of parallels between the matzah and Jesus. It's unleavened just as Jesus had no sin. It's pierced and striped and bruised as he was whipped and suffered. It's broken, symbolic of death. He died for us. It's wrapped in white. He was wrapped in white linen. It's hidden away, buried. The children are sent out to find him. God says you must be humble as a child to enter his kingdom. And believe me, God humbled me before I came to faith. And when it's found, everyone rejoices. The the angels rejoice in someone's salvation. It's resurrected, pulled out of the pouch, and shared with everyone. Who's the bread of life? Jesus. This is when the third cup is lifted. The cup of redemption. Ushers, you can come on up, get ready for communion. We're going to take communion in just a minute to celebrate this. Jesus is the fulfillment of this third cup, because this is the cup of redemption. He is the redeemer. This is the cup that He lifted. In Luke chapter 22, when he said, uh, drink this in remembrance of me. This is where we get our communion. The piece of matzah and the third cup of the Passover. Now, Jews that don't know Jesus are going to remember Moses and how God chose him to redeem us from physical slavery. But in the partaking of the third cup for us, we remember how Jesus set us free from slavery to sin. Amen. And and your Jewish people, every Friday night, they partake of bread and wine. Now it's leavened bread, and they thank God for the bread and the wine, for how it sustains them physically. And Jesus took that and gave it a greater meaning. What we're partaking of today, the bread and the wine, it reminds us of the bread and wine that sustains us spiritually. You know, when I partook of the Lord Jesus, I was spiritually satisfied. I didn't have to keep looking anymore. My soul was satisfied with his living water and with his bread of life. With the partaking of the third cup, we have the privilege of partaking of the fourth cup, the cup of halal, the cup of praise. And we praise God for his faithfulness to deliver us from physical slavery and spiritual slavery. This is a privilege. You know, before I came to faith, I didn't know how to praise God. I went to synagogue, but I was waking up my watch, I was standing up, sitting down, I was looking around, when's lunch? Only after I was reconciled through the Messiah did I know about praising God. He inhabits the praises of his saints. The cup of Hallel, so we have a cup of sanctification, plagues, redemption, and and praise. There you go. There's one cup we haven't talked about though. This fancy looking one called the Elijah cup. Traditionally a Jewish family will have an empty place setting with this cup at Passover because they know that before the coming of the Messiah God would send Elijah to tell them who the Messiah is. So after the long night of Passover, the youngest child present will run to the front door, open it wide, everyone will look and hope that Elijah will be there to tell us who the Messiah is. So if you're driving around town the eve of Passover, and you see some doors go flying open, go on in. Have a seat. Tell them who the Messiah is. For we know who Elijah is. Jesus said it's John the Baptist, Yohanan. He is Elijah who has come. He came to prepare the way. He came, you know, John's baptism, he was baptizing Jews who were repenting, who knew they needed a savior, who knew that their sin separated them from God. They were preparing their hearts. For when the Messiah appeared, they could accept that salvation. Cup of Elijah. Good. That is the Passover for you in a nutshell. For those of you who would like to experience this in full banquet setting, you have that opportunity. Uh, We're putting one on in Costa Mesa at the uh, Costa Mesa Country Club On April 14th, five-course meal, the whole shebang. And you're welcome to come with your families. Uh, There's some invitations in the back. You'll have to call and register ASAP, though, because it's coming up quick. And by the way, I'll be doing that Passover, and my family will be there, and we'll have a chance to fellowship again. Uh, Also, like Pastor Neil said, we have some free literature in the back, that you can partake of, help yourself. Uh, There's some copies of my testimony back there also. Also, we have some not-so-free literature, some books and stuff. Take advantage of it because most of what you see back there, you can't get anywhere else. It comes solely from Jews for Jesus. There's a lot of good stuff back there. I want to bless all of you this morning. We have an excellent video of uh, Jews, testimonies of Jews and Arabs in Israel who are getting saved now. God is moving in an amazing way in that land. Keep an eye on the land of Israel, folks. It's it's the epicenter, okay? What happens there affects the whole world. God is doing something amazing there. You know, I'm not anyone special because I had a dream and a vision. There's lots of people getting dreams and visions now. God is revealing himself to Muslims who are having dreams and visions, Jews all over the place and other people. He is revealing himself in a mighty way. So this VHS normally goes for $22. Tonight I'm giving it to you for, I mean this morning. Give five bucks and it's yours. It's my gift to you tonight if you want to check out this. It's an inspiring VHS. Also a little something about Jews for Jesus. Uh, I'm out of the Los Angeles branch. There's over 20 branches all over the world. This was started by a bunch of Jewish hippies who got saved here in California in the 70s and they had a real burden for their people. They saw that there was not a big effort by the church to reach the Jewish people. Uh, there was a big attitude that went around that, oh, the Jews had their chance, now they blew it, now they're the walking cursed of the earth. Well, folks, that's not God's plan. There's The first believers in Jesus were Jews uh, and there's always been a remnant of us, but we've been a minority. But there's been a Huge revival in the last 30 years of Jews coming to faith. That's a, sin, a signal to us in the church that the time of the Gentiles is ending, folks. The party's over. God is revealing himself to his ancient people. That means we're ready for the next phase, okay? Keep your eye on this. It's huge. We're involved in a huge outreach in Israel right now. And the response is unbelievable. We've had over a hundred salvations. We've had thousands of Jews require more, want more information about Jesus. It's unprecedented, folks. God is lifting that veil on our hearts. And it's a beautiful, incredible time. So be a part of it. Uh, you can, uh, with your pamphlet, it comes with a tear-out in the back. And this will put you on the cutting edge of everything we're doing, which, believe me, is never a dull day. Uh, We are on the cutting edge of evangelism to all people, but especially to our Jewish people. We go to campuses. I go to Venice Beach once a week. We go to farmer's markets. Wherever the people are, we're there lifting up the name of Jesus. In fact, I was just uh, with a brother here um, last night who's going to come with us to UC Irvine and Cal State Long Beach. Where we minister to the uh, college students, and here you want to fill this out and put it and bring it back to my table uh, after the service, and I can get you on our newsletter. It's our gift to you. It is free. Uh, if you if the Lord does move you to help what we're doing, because we are a nonprofit, we do uh, live by faith and serve the Lord by faith. If God's laying it on your heart to help the ministry of Jews for Jesus, you have that opportunity this morning. Uh, just note your contribution and bring that to the back table also, so we could properly receipt you. <clears throat> um, uh, like I said, a lot's going on in the land of Israel right now. There is a prophecy in Zechariah that talks about all the nations coming against Jerusalem, the Jewish people, and that is. Is this close to happening, folks? America has stood with Israel over all these years, but I'm afraid that friendship's on its way out with this new administration. And get ready for some big changes. That's all I got to say about that. It's a time to stay close to the Lord. It's a time to um, uh, be aware of the big picture, folks, because I think things are going to change and change quickly. And we're not left unawares, okay? If you're a child of God, God shows you all this stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, so, um, uh, stay plugged in. That's my suggestion. Don't, uh, don't go seeking comfort, but stay plugged in to what God is doing. Um, I'll be hanging out if you have any other questions. Uh, it's been a pleasure sharing with you. Uh, I'll take questions in the back. Yeah. Um, uh, it's been a pleasure sharing with you this morning. Uh, You know, you're like my new family. My family has shunned me. I'm not invited to any Passovers. Um, uh, We're um, pretty much written off because they see us as traitors because we don't follow the rabbis anymore. The irony is they don't either. (laughs) Um, But hey, I get to do over 20 Passovers a year, so I'm not missing out. And uh, so uh, God bless you. I'm going to invite Pastor Neil up here now. And, uh, and then I'll end with the ironic benediction. Okay. Shalom.
0: Cyril, thank you so much for coming and sharing with us. Uh, it's, it's a real treat. We've been going through uh, the Gospel of Mark. And when we came to the Passover, I said, I don't know what this is. I'm going to bring in some guy who does. And, uh, and we, we brought you in, and you just did an outstanding job of, of showing us uh, just the meaning behind uh, that special, special uh, Jewish feast, and to see Jesus Christ in it, uh, which is clearly uh, uh, very evident. Mr. Gordon, to come back up and close our service with a word of prayer, uh, a Hebrew prayer, no less.
1: This is closed with the ironic benediction out of the book of Numbers. I'll give the uh, English translation first. It goes as such. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And then I'll give you the Hebrew. <speaking> Ya er adonai panavelecha vehunecha. Isadonai panavelecha veyasemlecha. Shalom.